This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. Additional terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stacy, it's time for us to fess up and admit that we're both kind of obsessed with our hair. <laughs> Megan, you're spilling our secrets. But it's true and kind of with good reason. I'm the daughter of a hairdresser and you, well, I mean, you have gorgeous hair. I'm obsessed with your hair too. <laughs> Even though I'm low maintenance, I really do take hair health seriously and I'm always excited to find products that help. So I'm pretty stoked about our latest sponsor, Nutrafol, a 100% drug-free dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement. I am also thrilled to be trying Nutrafol, especially since my PCOS can cause excessive hair loss, especially during hormonal shifts like postpartum and premenopause. Postpartum is actually when I first became serious about hair health. Did you know that more than 50% of women experience excessive shedding naturally within three to four months of giving birth? I did, and I totally experienced that too. Nutrafol Postpartum has ingredients that can help bring your body back into balance. It's breastfeeding-friendly and OBGYN-developed using clinically tested natural ingredients that help support whole body recovery and fill nutrition gaps that help manage shedding and grow stronger, thicker hair. And an added bonus, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and better skin and nails. Who doesn't want all of that? I wish that I'd had Nutrafol when I was postpartum, but I'm thankful to try Nutrafol Woman. Here, here. Wherever you are in your motherhood journey, there's a Nutrafol for you. Join us, support the show, and grow stronger, healthier hair by going to Nutrafol.com and using the promo code D-I-J-F-Y to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. But I find people think they have to somehow take away every single thing that's part of the original recipe of something. And then some for some reason, they think they have to make it healthier. And you don't. 
Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Stacy, And I'm Megan. Before we get into this week's episode, just a sweet little reminder to subscribe right now, right where you're listening. And if you haven't left a review, now's a great time to do that. We want to help as many other busy parents and home cooks find us. And those readings and reviews really do help get people there. That was so sweet. Okay. Let's dive into this one because it's a juicy interview that's part of, I don't know, we call it a series, but it's been quite a while since the first episode. Basically, we want to take time over, you know, several months to just explore plant-based eating with kids. We're not trying to push veganism or vegetarianism. We're not trying to say if it's good or bad. We just know that there are a lot of people who are plant-based curious and that it can feel trickier when you're also feeding kids. Yes. And can I just add that we know we have uh, several loyal listeners who are either vegetarian by choice or they eat dairy-free because they have a kiddo with an allergy and we love that plant-based cooking and eating allows us to speak to them directly because you know all the omnivores in our listeners community they get all the meatball episodes and the chicken episodes (laughs) so many we gotta deliver a little bit of something for everyone as much as we can so I, I think of our first episode in the series being the one that we did with Dr. Reshma Shah and Brenda Davis mm-hmm. about going vegan with kids. And in that conversation, we really talked about, is it safe? Because that seems to be a really big question. Even for people who eat vegan or vegetarian themselves, they have kids and they have questions about whether or not it's safe to eliminate animal protein when their kids are changing, growing, et cetera. Yeah. And maybe not safe, but maybe like nutritionally sound. Like, is my kid going to get everything they need eating a vegan or vegetarian diet, right? Right. We also did a great episode with Queer Brown Vegan. His name is Isaiah. And that was an Earth Day episode, but I actually feel like that fits this series too. Yes. Yes. No, that was intentional because it was really about like asking the second question of like, is eating vegan or vegetarian impactful in a positive way environmentally? Right. So that's a like first question that comes up is, is it nutritionally sound for my kids? Second question that comes up is like, Is that actually better for the environment or can I just eat sustainably raised beef? Which I don't know if we really answered that question, but we did get a different perspective on it. And then this one. This one is the one I'm excited for. the third question, which (laughs) is like, how do you make vegan food actually taste delicious? Which makes it sound like shade. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to stop there because I know that's a title. We both agreed on it. It's been our shorthand about this episode. But I do want to pause and just acknowledge that saying, can you make vegan food actually taste delicious, sets an omnivore diet as the baseline for Mm -hmm. deliciousness. And I don't actually think that that's fair or accurate. But it's it's where we went. Um, we're definitely coming from the assumption that a lot of people who are plant-based curious 
are omnivores. We know that's not entirely true. There are a lot of vegans and vegetarians who've been eating that way for a long time, but maybe have questions about how to implement that kind of diet with their kids. But I guess we are sort of coming from this default of if you're used to eating animal protein, right? So that includes cheese. Well, (laughs) it's made from animal protein, right? So milk, dairy, cheese, meat, then your palate is primed in a particular way, just like with any pattern of eating, right? Mm -hmm. It can be tricky. You and I have made jokes that, you know, (laughs) and even Lauren, our guest today, said the same thing, that you get a vegan (laughs) influencer who's like, oh my God, this is so delicious. It tastes just like cheese. And you try it and you're like, "Mm, yeah, Mm -hmm. you obviously haven't had cheese in years. (laughs) It does not (laughs) taste just like cheese. Yeah. (laughs) It's good. But so I think that's what we wanted to tackle today with our guest, Lauren, right? Right. And also from a chef's perspective, what are some cooking techniques that make vegetables taste great, which is helpful even if you're just a parent who's like trying to expose your kids to more plant-based food. You're not necessarily going to go all in on vegetarianism or veganism, but you want to eat better tasting vegetables. I think Lauren also really does a good job of speaking to that. So... Without further ado, we've said her name several times now. It's the big reveal. Lauren Toyota is the author of the best-selling cookbook, Vegan Comfort Classics, 101 Recipes to Feed Your Face, and her brand new book, Hot for Food All Day. She's been named one of Canada's most influential vegans, and she's appeared on many national television programs sharing her expertise for making vegan food fast and Fun. And I actually know Lauren from her YouTube channel, which has been around forever, and her site. It's called Hot for Food. She has amassed millions of views and devoted fans. And honestly, if you go and watch her, you'll totally understand why. Lauren understands just delicious food, period, and just happens to be cooking with all plant based ingredients. So without further ado, welcome, Lauren. Okay, Lauren, when we hear from parents who are vegan curious, but Mm -hmm. scared to jump in, we hear two things most commonly. One is that they just don't know what ingredients to use. And the other is that they don't know how to use the ingredients to make vegan food, quote unquote, delicious. Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to just start there. When we're talking about making vegan food delicious, do you think that this requires a shift in our expectations and in our palates? No, not at all. I actually don't think it does. But there is, you know, a bit of uh, laying the groundwork that needs to be done, perhaps maybe to get to the level where you feel like everything is very similar. But For me personally, obviously somebody with my experience, it has always been my goal and my mission to meet people's expectations on just what is delicious food that just happens to be plant-based or vegan, right? So you shouldn't be tasting something and think, well, you just told me this is a cake, but it's not a cake and it's dry dry, (laughs) or like, why is there almond flour instead of just regular flour? Almond flour can be great. Don't get me wrong. But I find people think they have to somehow take away every single thing that's part of the original recipe of something and then 
some for some reason they think they have to make it healthier and you don't <laughs> yes we love that <laughs> yeah so that's like my main point of like what I do with hot for food is so that I can meet you where you're at which is you're used to eating cheesy pasta bakes and you know creamy fatty ranch salad dressing with chicken so it's like what can I do that is going to make you feel the same satisfied like nostalgia wise mouthfeel wise and 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 satiated is, is the key word there I think and that comes from a combination of things like fat and and salt and sweetness and and that stuff yeah we want to ask about that mm -hmm. right because we talk about that with our listeners you know that idea that to make something feel satiating you need a little bit of salt and a little bit of acid and yep. fat and heat and yep. the the thing that we get asked about a lot is fat because i think a lot of people assume that vegan or plant-based food has less fat is that a misconception also? And what can we use to bring that element into mm -hmm. vegan cooking? Yeah, it's certainly a misconception. And, and and I even fell into that main misconception when I first went vegan 11 years ago is that I somehow we have we all have it in our head. And I don't know why this is that it has to be like I said, sugar free, oil free, gluten free. And, and these are just all preferences. These are not prerequisites to being like, a vegan and we also need to get we need to separate these ideas that vegan somehow means healthy you can certainly start to eat more plant-based for your health there's obvious benefits and science to back that but you don't have to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and feel like you've now eliminated all your options and all the fun stuff that food brings to our lives because then you're depriving yourself and you're bordering on you know, you're now in a diet, you're on a diet. And veganism is not a diet. Veganism is a lifestyle choice. And I think that's becoming even more important and vital as we discuss the health of the world, the health of the planet is dependent on us eating more plant based. So it's not just about your body or getting a six pack or any of these things. None of that, <laughs> none of that is guaranteed when you go vegan. Um, so there's, there's a huge distinction between that. And I'm glad we're having this discussion because I always just want to talk about food and not put, not put these restrictions on it or these like expectations and levels of perfection. There seems to be this perfectionism that, that goes with veganism that we need to get rid of too, because that's why people aren't more eager to just you know, take a step into the whole scene because they're afraid of getting judged. They're afraid of doing it wrong. That's that's my rant on that, first of all. So fat, you can, you can eat a high fat, unhealthy junk food vegan diet if you want. Uh, that's your decision. But I'll tell you, you are having a less carbon footprint by doing that, even if you're eating beyond meat every day, uh, which is high in fat made from coconut oil. And in my personal opinion, feel that that is healthier than eating saturated animal fat, but others may have a strong argument for why it's not. But for me, it makes the most sense because it has way less of a carbon footprint, way less water waste. I feel better eating it. I don't feel bloated when I eat it. And I feel satisfied like I just ate a burger made from red meat. So for me, I've just hit like five markers of what I need to feel like I'm healthy, right? <laughs> 
I love that you're talking about this, though, because when you're feeding a family in particular, you're starting to make food choices for other people. And in doing so, you're also influencing their future food choices, Mm -hmm. right? So kind of separating the choice to eat vegan food from this idea of personal health as it relates to the way that your body looks or to the way... It really makes a lot of sense that we want to think about the planet. We want to mm-hmm. think about like how you feel. You want to experiment. You want it to taste good. Kids want food to taste good mm-hmm. because kids are coming to food without all of the BS that we have built up over the years. And you put something in front of a kid that doesn't taste good and like, oh, yeah. why would I eat this? Yeah. That makes no sense. But, you know, you have the choice to feed your child like a hot dog. Or like a plant-based chicken nugget that tastes exactly the same as a regular chicken nugget. And if they've never eaten a chicken nugget, then why would they even know the difference? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, and I use hot dog as an example because I see everyone feeding their kids cut up hot dogs. And like, look, no judgment. Everyone, they're cheap and whatever. But I think it, you're right that it is. And I, you know, I don't talk a lot about feeding families or kids. But, you know, as I get older and think about maybe if I want to have a kid, these are obviously choices I'm going to make because I love a vegan lifestyle and so should my my offspring. But or so would my offspring. But when you introduce foods, you have a huge opportunity to shape that story and that picture. And I think focusing on the environment and the fact that this little person is now going to live in a world where most likely they won't have as easy access to um, the stuff we grew up eating. uh, You have a real big opportunity to shape their perceptions and, and that type of thing. So I do think that is an important conversation. And also back to this idea of delicious, to shape their palates so that they have a more expansive view of what to eat, that even if they decide they don't want to be vegan, you know, just accepting vegan foods and maybe eating vegan sometimes or through some seasons of life Mm -hmm. and not others still has a positive impact on the planet. Um, It just becomes part of the language of food for them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, back to your fat question. Yes. Too. Yes. I know. I want like the brass tacks also because we are like cheese lovers. We talk about <laughs> cheese probably yeah. too much on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So like having real like your favorite substitute for cheese or butter or some of those like an- satiating animal fat flavors would be yeah. awesome. Well, I'm a huge fan of vegan butter and there's lots of vegan butter sticks now available on the market um, made from various ingredients, primarily blends of vegetable oils. The only one that's pretty unique on the market right now is the Miyoko's uh, cultured vegan butter, which is Mm. coconut oil and cashews. And it is uh, because of the cultured aspect of it has that fermented quality of butter, that aged quality. And it's really tasty. I love using it in baking that one in particular, because then that taste really comes through. I love using it for buttercream frosting. It's so good for that. I think with the added texture of a cashew, it, which you don't know there's cashews in it, but the fact that it's blended in there um, gives the buttercream frosting for like, you know, birthday cakes and cupcakes, this, this extra yummy, yummy taste, but I'll just use like a cheaper version of vegan butter, like from uh, country crock, they have vegan butter sticks. I use that all the time on toast or sandwiches or whatever, and on vegetables. Um, so I feel like the vegan butter is an easy one where you're not, I know there are people who are like butter purists, but if, if you're looking for, to do what you do with butter, you can do it with these plant-based butter sticks. They're one-to-one substitutes. They're great. So that's an easy swap. Even vegan mayonnaise. I mean, I never ate mayonnaise as a non-vegan because I thought it was gross with eggs and stuff in it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like 
to me, a vegan mayonnaise is so clean. It's just clean sunflower oil usually or safflower oil, apple cider vinegar, mustard seasoning, salt. And like I eat it all the time now. I mix it into dips with, with vegan sour cream or cashew cream. I put it on my BLT sandwiches. Like I use it for everything all the time. It's like one of my favorite sort of condiments. So again, an easy swap. Instead of going and buying the jar of regular mayonnaise, you can buy a big jar of vegan mayonnaise and have that in the fridge. And then when it comes to cheese, of course, like, you know, I was very addicted to cheese, just like everybody. And I thought it would be the thing that would prevent me from going vegan for years. And um, it just takes some getting used to. I mean, when I went vegan, there wasn't any great vegan cheeses at the grocery store. There just was nothing. And I, that's why I started kind of making my own cheese sauces and cream sauces and things out of not just cashews, but like I have a nacho cheese that's just like that orange, like you know, pump cheese you get at the movie yes, theater. And it has, I love that. Yeah. And it's like one of my most popular recipes and it's so good because there is actually no nuts in it. So it's actually low in fat and it's made from just potatoes and carrots and seasoning. So it's vegetable based, which sounds crazy. And you're like, there's no way that tastes like cheese, but like ask anyone I've given it to and they're like addicted to it. And it's a very easy recipe with like inexpensive ingredients it's you can look it up it's hot for food nacho cheese it'll be on google yes we'll link to it in the show notes too I'm for searching anyone right yeah now. <laughs> yeah it's a it's a con, like a con, like it, it'll convert people this recipe and so but now you know in 2021 we have so you go to a grocery store not just a whole foods but i'm gonna, just gonna use whole foods as an example because it's across the street from me like the whole section of vegan products is arguably almost the same size as where all the regular dairy is and there's yes. just so many good things and like these aren't unhealthy products like some of them are like just fat they're they're nutritionally void but like cheese is nutritionally void i got really excited when you said you put the vegan mayonnaise on your BLT because I want to know what your favorite bacon alternative is for a BLT. Yeah. We're like in peak tomato season and that I could eat that every day. So what do you use as a bacon sub? That's funny you say that because I've been eating every day tartine bakery sourdough, vegan mayonnaise, fresh garden tomatoes, salt and pepper. That's all I've been eating for breakfast, for breakfast, lunch and sometimes dinner. Yeah, it's the <laughs> um, best. But if I want to make that into a BLT, yes, I actually, my preferred bacon, and I have actually about six or seven versions of vegan bacon in my first cookbook. Uh, you can find some of the recipes on the blog too. But it's just one marinade that you can then put anything into, like flaked coconut for coconut bacon, like sort of chips, which are great on salads. My favorite one for sandwiches is just thinly sliced firm tofu that you marinate Ooh. in this, you marinate in this smoky marinade and then you bake it and it can just stay in the fridge for a while and you just have these slices ready to go. That's, and I like it because, to, I mean, tofu can be the worst thing if you don't know how to prepare it, but it's yes. actually one of my favorite ingredients and I use it as much as possible just because I love the texture of it, especially because it comes in various textures. So it's very, uh, has multi-use purposes. But a firm or a medium firm that you bake into crispy, thin pieces, like that to me is my favorite chewy style bacon. You can also do um, mushroom bacon. Like if you can get big slices of portobello's or even do shiitake slices, you can make that into bacon. So there's lots of options. As ter in terms of pre-made bacon on the market, there aren't that many great ones. In fact, bacon is something that still needs to really be worked on, but I pretty much prefer making my homemade stuff anyways. Yeah, it's probably way less expensive, too. Yeah, yes. it is. It's cheap, right? Like a brick of tofu will make so much bacon. You'll have multiple sandwiches out of it. 
uh, it is it is uh, less expensive to make your own for sure. Yeah, I love that you brought up tofu because I feel like this is the summer where I personally have unlocked tofu for my Great. family. Like realizing that I can crumble it and pan mm-hmm. fry it, and it has like oh, like my six year old will be like, oh, the, this crispy chicken, and I'm like, yep. yeah, uh huh, yes, that's what we're eating. So I can't <laughs> wait to try the bacon tofu. Yeah, do the bacon up. Yeah. So. We're talking about bacon. We're talking about cheese, mayo. Let's just have a basic rundown mm-hmm. of the most important ingredients to keeping your pantry if you want to make delicious, mm-hmm. simple vegan home cooking. Right. And this is this is a good question because people may be surprised by the answer, but it's like most of these things are things you probably sh- would have in your pantry even if you're not vegan because they're all like, I guess they call them like flavor boosters, but like yes. soy sauce or gluten-free soy sauce, coconut aminos, tamari, these are all s- in the same category because people may not want soy sauce. They may want coconut aminos, which if you it, it t- tastes like soy sauce, so you can do it as a substitute. So soy sauce is like a must-have. You must have a large jar in the cupboard or in the fridge, uh, because it's going to be handy for your bacon marinade. uh, But also like any sauce, all kinds of stir fry sauces, it's, it's obviously like umami and sodium, but it's like got this deep flavor. So anything like that is like a must have because you're always trying to layer and build flavors onto these like sort of, you know, bland things like tofu or tempeh that do need sauces and marinades. So so soy sauce is one. I mean, a nut butter or multiple nut butters, peanut butter, or if you can't have peanut butter, almond butter, sunflower butter. Again, this is a fat component too. So you can add healthy fats from nut butters into sauces and dressings without using just like oil. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with oil, but just if you want to have something that's a little richer, can emulsify really well with like soy sauce. You can make an easy peanut sauce with just like almond butter or an almond sauce, almond butter, soy sauce, lime juice, hot sauce, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. it. And that can go on tofu that can go on noodles with broccoli, things like that. So a nut butter, a soy sauce, miso paste is a big one that I use in a lot of my cooking because miso is umami as well. It's fermented soy paste, but you can get miso made from brown rice or quinoa, chickpeas, all kinds of things. Again, if you have to avoid soy for any reason, nobody needs to avoid soy, but some people do based on health issues and allergies. So when I say that, it's just like eat as much soy as you want. There's no problem with it unless you have a specific issue with it. But miso is a great flavor booster. Again, umami, I make like a ginger miso tahini dressing. So tahini is like sesame butter. So you'll find I'm always blending like essentially those three things together. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. something something umami-ish yes. with sodium and like a deep, rich flavor. Uh, and then a nut butter or something fatty. Um, I mean, lemons and limes are, everyone has those. I use a lot of fresh citrus in a lot of cooking. And it always sort of as a thing you add at the end, it just brightens your food, it brightens that flavor, it balances things out because you're adding acidity. So going back to that sort of trifecta or that like quadrant of salt, fat, acid, heat, like always keep that in mind. That is absolutely true. And it will definitely level up your cooking in terms of just like, like if you're like, what is this missing? This isn't as tasty as it could be. Like, have you accomplished one of those, you know, all those categories in one? A maple syrup. Again, maple syrup is like the sweetener of choice I usually use in cooking, especially savory cooking or in any sauces. I don't just use it for as syrup. 
Um, it usually gets mixed into a lot of things. So, so far, everything I've mentioned, maybe other than miso paste, is stuff people will probably already have. I was going to say, you're not mm-hmm. listing a bunch of vegan products. I mean, we no. do talk about mayo, and I'm sure you have, like, vegan chocolate chips on hand. Yes. But, like, this is mostly just ingredients that all cooks use to build flavor. Yes. And another one, you know, and I kind of put these flavor boosters in their own category of their own, but like things like bouillon cubes. So you can get like onion, mushroom, vegetable. You can also now get chicken flavored or beef flavored, but they are vegetable based. And so I use that a lot in my soup bases, in my pasta sauce bases, in a lot of different things, because it gives you those all just all those like herbs and spices combined that mimic what you think chicken tastes like, which really just comes from the seasoning anyways. Yeah. So those are important. Um, They come in cube form or paste form or powder form. All of them are great. So I like having those on hand all the time because, you know, in a lot of cases too, if you're making a grain, you don't just have to boil it in water, you can boil it in water with a cube and then you've got something that's tastier and then like curry paste so there's a lot of vegan friendly just like green and red curry paste and again those again you can make curry with coconut milk easy with vegetables and tofu or you can also use them in other sauces or dressings again you're adding spice heat these layers of flavor you always want to think almost about like flavor work backwards. Like, what do you like eating? If you like eating roast beef, well, what do you season roast beef with? Like rosemary, ground pepper, yeah. uh, Worcestershire. So you can use all those things to then flavor something else, whether that be so like smart. a braised cauliflower like head or cabbage or broccoli or Brussels sprouts. Like people are afraid to put things on their vegetables for some reason, but you can really season them up. You can... You can char them, you can grill them, you can roast them, you can baste them. So you can do a lot but and just infuse a lot of flavor into your food. And that's what is really going to make the difference. I love this conversation so much because I feel like, Megan, it's not that different than what we say when we're talking about, you know, conventional or animal-based protein cooking, you know, because chicken I might think chicken is delicious, but really it's about how you cook the chicken. It's about like how, what kind of heat you put on it and then the flavors that you layer on top. And it's the same thing, but we're talking about using vegetables and plant-based proteins instead. Yeah, it is the same. And I think that's where going back to kind of the beginning of our conversation, we miss the mark. We think we have to do everything 100% differently because we're vegan now, but you actually don't. You can actually do a lot of the same things you already do, but just making a couple swaps to either that main protein or uh, like I said, things like mayonnaise or butter that you can just swap in and out of a, a, let's say you have like your grandma's recipe for something, you can just swap out the butter for vegan butter. It's really not reinventing the wheel. It probably is just getting used to to making those swaps and just like, you know, making brushing up on your techniques. Yes. Okay. So talk to us about techniques. Like, are there some basic techniques that you always return to? It sounds like marinating. Mm-hmm. Is a I big one. Blend. You were talking about your lemon tahini miso sauce. Yeah, blending is actually again something very simple, but I think we forget to do it. Like I use my blender multiple times a day because again, I like making my sauces from scratch because it's cheaper. I know what's in them. And uh, I mean mainly it's cheaper. If you're buying bottled dressings <laughs> and stuff like that, you're yeah. wasting a lot yeah. of money. Um, and then you can customize. So I'm a big blender. I think people who follow me on my channel know that like 
I say my Vitamix, my blender is my favorite tool and it's so versatile. And sometimes when you, you know, often actually when you blend things, you're just getting a better texture. So sure you could shake together the dressing in a jar, but sometimes when you, when you blend, when you blend something like a nut butter, again, emulsification with acid and whatnot, it actually comes out much better because you've blended it with the, with that power. We had a great conversation with Tess, the blender girl, and I think it's a good moment to refer back to that episode because it was amazing talking to her because we went in, you know, both Megan and I are professional cooks. We're like, we know how to use a blender. (laughs) And she talked about it on a whole other level, but having to do with how you create totally different flavors using your blender. Yes, you do. Right. Because you take something like, like, I, I don't know, something I just did recently, like roasted peppers, like a roasted red pepper tastes one way when it's sort of whole or out of the jar or out of your oven. And it tastes entirely different. And it, and it can change things when you blend them with other things like tomato paste and olive oil and stuff like that. So yeah, I love Tess. She's amazing. She knows everything about the blender, but it's true. And you can blend whole nuts into sauces. And that's a big vegan thing. And you can do that all the way from the thinnest texture of a milk. You can make your own nut milks, which truthfully I don't do, but you can do that. And and then you can make le- like just with less liquid, you can go all the way to the butter texture. Or again, we're going in mm. an in-between texture and getting something like ricotta cheese or yeah. like even blending tofu. I blend so much tofu. Like I make a homemade cream cheese that's just tofu and a bit of coconut oil and seasonings. And it's super simple. Uh, and it requires a blender and, but like you really transform that tofu and you would never know it's tofu. Oh, that's awesome. I want to try that. It's delicious. If y'all have been listening for a while, you know that both of our families love pickles like big time. So of course we jumped at the chance to work with Grillo's pickles and oh boy, have we made everyone happy. (laughs) Grillo's is going to make you happy too. We've been fans since long before they became a sponsor, and we're telling you, these are the best pickles we've ever had. In fact, they are perfect for packing in your kid's lunchbox, make a fantastic healthy after-school snack, and they're my favorite way to top my famous fried chicken sandwich. Made with a 100-year-old secret family recipe, Grillo's uses only all-natural, high-quality, garden-fresh ingredients to deliver crunchy, tangy flavor with zero artificial preservatives or colors. And all of their pickle varieties are made cold, shipped cold, and sold cold, which gives their products a distinct crunch and bold flavor. Grillo's pickles come in original dill, hot, and bread and butter flavors, and a cut for every occasion with holes, spears, halves, chips, and thin sliced sandwich makers. And their latest product, Pickle de Gallo, is a pickle-based salsa that's amazing on a chip or as a topping for burgers and dogs. We are completely obsessed with this stuff. No, seriously obsessed. All you have to do to get your hands on this goodness is head to the refrigerated section of your local supermarket, including Whole Foods, Target, Kroger, Safeway, and Publix. Go to grillos.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y to grab your exclusive coupon for $1.50 off your Grillos purchase. That's about 25% off most of their products. And also find a store locator. Now, I got really excited because you said this thing about like, 
people forget that they can season their vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> and then talking about like braise, braising cauliflower, braising cabbage. I want to know, do you feel like you're embracing new technology and doing things like air frying your tofu bacon or like to get more crispy mm. textures in there? I have just started using an air fryer. I'm a little late to the party. I think an air fryer is a wonderful tool as well. I'm glad you mentioned it because I actually feel like my audience was like, well, what about the air fryer? Can I put that in the air fryer? And I was like, I don't know. I don't have an air fryer. <laughs> but now that I have one, I do see you can put anything in there. It takes way less time. And something like the tofu bacon would be a wonderful thing to put in your air fryer. Uh, it would take less time, truthfully. And probably half the time is my guess. I've honestly just been putting straight up plain cubed tofu. I haven't even been seasoning it, putting it in my air fryer because it takes 10 minutes to get it crispy like I deep fried it. And then I just put that on um, like one of my favorite go-to meals right now is just like a like a rice noodle bowl with like a spicy hoisin sauce with lime juice. Yeah. It's really easy. But just to put that crispy tofu on top elevates it. And it doesn't necessarily need seasoning because I'm putting a, a, like a nice sauce on this salad bowl. So it's got like cool rice noodles and then like chopped lettuce and mint and basil and carrots and then like pickled cucumber and like the tofu just without any salt. I don't know. I don't It's like so easy. But like in that case, I feel like for me, it doesn't need a bunch of seasoning, but you could certainly do a dry rub throw it in the air fryer and it's just so fast. So I think air fryers are really good too for families because you can, they're big, they can hold a lot of food. Sometimes you can do multiple things at once in them. So a lot of my recipes can just be done in the air fryer. Um, and people who have more experience with air fryers probably already know, like just watch the food, like make sure you don't overcook it. And I think that this also speaks to this layering of flavors, this idea that you can take tofu that's just giving you texture life because yes. it's so crispy and delicious because you did it in the air fryer. Mm -hmm. And if you've seasoned everything else, you're layering. You talked about pickled vegetables. You talked yeah. about a spicy hoisin sauce. The you fresh know, herbs. The fresh herbs. Like, you've got it. So, you know, going back to the idea of techniques, you know, you're blending, you're making sauces, you're marinating, you're layering mm -hmm. flavor, you're thinking about texture, which, again, is just back to basics. Back to basics, yeah. And I think yeah. we always want things to be fast so we cut corners in our own kitchens, right? I come from this place where, to me, what I just described to you is easy. <laughs> I get that that may not come naturally yeah. to everybody right away. But if you can start breaking down your meals like that in those layers and thinking about how you're building flavor and texture, then you should end up with something really delicious and edible um, and maybe slightly unique from what you're used to. So it's really yeah, expanding that idea. And I do wonder if people are curious about eating more vegan food, if it might help. This is not everybody's favorite suggestion, mm. but doing some meal prep because having crunchy pickled red onion on yeah. hand already, yeah. having a few sauces that you already prepped that are waiting in your fridge for the week, that makes it a lot easier in the moment than having to create those layers every single night, especially if you haven't, you know, flexed that muscle yet. I think that would be really helpful mm -hmm. to people for whom this is new. 100%. And I think you you defined meal prep in the best way. And it's the way I look at it. Because if you if you go through my two books, you'll find there's so many mix and match sauces and 
techniques for different dishes. You don't just have to do that one technique for that one recipe, but you can air fry that tofu, like I said, put it away for the for the week and still have it. Some people think meal prep means like prepping everything, like making sure yes. all your carrots <laughs> are shredded in, in advance. And like, you don't need to do that. It's just having to have a few sauces on hand, like you said, maybe a couple pickled things and like a cooked two cooked grains on hand. Like that's all you need. The yes. rest you can just add in as you go. And that doesn't take much time, right? Like chopping some vegetables or grating some vegetables or whatever. So yeah, this, for me, it's actually the sauces are really important. If you can just make a couple of my sauces and have those ready to go, then you can add them to anything, whether it's pasta, grain bowl, or or whatever. Yeah, we've talked about the concept of next overs too, which is sort of like you fold that prep into your weekly meal. So one night when you're making crispy tofu for something else, you just do a double batch. So then you have crispy tofu for another night. And then the following night you make something that requires a sauce. And then that happens to go with the crispy tofu from another night. So I think people can get easily overwhelmed by that by the idea that they have to make one sauce every night, but they could be no. making one sauce that lasts them all week, or they're making two sauces a week that season everything. For sure. That is a concept I've infused into my latest cookbook. And I like you use the word next overs. I hadn't heard that, but I call it level up your leftovers. So mm. I actually show people how to take, let's say you make uh, like one example in the book is you make tortilla soup. So it's a vegetable based tortilla soup with, with shredded jackfruit, but you can actually, and here comes back to this technique. You can take some of the soup, like two cups of it and blend it like all the chunks and everything. And I, and you just add a couple other things and then it makes an enchilada sauce. So Ooh, now you can, that's so smart. now you can make, now you can make, you know, stuffed enchiladas in a bake with this sauce and use that leftover soup. So I'm really showing people like, so you don't have to eat the same, you don't have to eat soup five days in a row. You can just eat soup for one or two nights and then take what's left over and transform it completely into a whole other dish. So that to me is again a key thing of like keeping things interesting making sure you don't get bored of this like new plant-based idea that you're you're trying to work with and and keeping things really flavorful and using those basic techniques we've outlined today uh, over and over and over again and then you'll get really used to doing that and i and i feel like i've empowered my audience who's been following me for a while to start doing that on their own they're like they'll tell me they'll be like i blended this into this and they've just made up a whole new thing out yes. of my recipes and i'm like yes that's what i want you to do like you don't have to follow my recipe these are just ideas and now you take it and run with it it's so i love that so much because i feel like when you really try to empower people to cook at home and be adventurous and like yeah. get their sea legs so to speak in the yeah. kitchen you do end up asking them to do some things repeatedly you know you're going to make this soup a couple of times you're going to turn it into enchilada sauce and people will be like oh but i get bored but also, if you're just flying by the seat of the, your pants, you're probably going to get bored too and make the same things over and over. That's kind of what we do when we're mm -hmm. busy and trying to feed our families. But if you do it in this way where you're following some directions, you know that mm -hmm. it's going to work out, you know, three, four, five times in, you're going to know how to do it yourself. You're going to start to get ideas and inspiration. That's when it hits. It's really yes. about making habits. <laughs> yes. And just being willing to like go along, you know, same thing with meal planning. Oh, but I'm going to get bored. Just do it for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. Cause once you see that it works, you're going to start to be inspired and you're going to be able to riff. And that's when it gets more interesting. A hundred percent. And it's, it, it is that mental exercise or that mental reprogramming. That's really what this 
this ask to eat more plant-based is about because everything we do with food is so habitual, right? It's habits. It's all just habits. So totally. You just have to form some new ones. It only takes two weeks, two to three weeks. <laughs> okay. So Lauren, before you go, I have to ask, okay, because I love tofu also, maybe not quite as much as Megan, but I'm going to get there because <laughs> okay. I do like it. But I need to talk for just one quick minute about the other plant-based proteins because sometimes I get nervous about mm -hmm. using them. Megan mentioned recently on an episode. TVP. Yes. Textured mm. vegetable protein. But can you just yeah. quickly like seitan, mm -hmm. you know, all just run us through them and what are they good for and t like help me not be scared. Yeah. Well, so TVP <laughs> is like the original like vegan mock meat, I guess, other than tofu, because TVP, like it comes dried, it, it can either be in like strips, chunks, or like crumbles. And like, definitely doesn't necessarily look appealing when you're used to eating meat. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> it it does have a great texture, you're getting that chewy mouthfeel, it requires seasoning, for sure. So you have to get used to again, giving it a marinade, soaking it in broth, doing this whole thing, and then like either pan frying it to get it crispy or roasting it or again, air fryer. So kind of going back to those same ideas. I don't use a ton of TVP. To be honest, I actually use soy curls, which are similar, but they're just pure dried soy. And they're so much like meat. Like I make a chicken shawarma Ooh, out of I them. I make like a- I have never even heard of soy curls. I know. <laughs> okay, well, look them up. They're by a brand called Butler's. Again, like an older brand uh, that's been making these for years. Kind of like a old school vegan secret. Butler's Soy Curls. They're like a name brand. I order them online. Um, probably easier to order online than like searching at like your local store for them because they're not in every store for sure. But they are just like larger chunks dried out. They do look like dried chicken or something like that. But you I'm can again- I'm looking at them now. They yeah. look seriously like shredded chicken, like yeah. 100%. So I have a lot of recipes in the new book that use them actually because they're kind of a uh, I've been, I was experimenting with them for the co couple of years prior to making this book. And I just found them to be so good. They're so filling and you can do different things with them. You add whatever seasoning you want. So like I said, I have a chicken shawarma one, but then I have like more of a beef, a beef soy curl thing. And uh, so it can take on many different forms. So soy curls is a good one. Seitan, yes, yeah, seitan you're starting to see now. You can actually buy it in store. So if you go to where the tofu is sold, you'll see brands like, oh shoot, the name Upton's. is escaping me. Upton's, I, yes. yes. Upton's. And there's a couple other brands. They have like pre-made and seasoned seitan chunks or strips. And so, again, people who are celiac can't eat this. Seitan is pure wheat gluten. So it's the gluten separated from the starch and the fiber. And the gluten is very high in protein. So if you're trying to not eat gluten or you can't eat gluten, that one's not going to be an option for you. But the soy curls are fine. The tofu is fine. Tempeh is another great sort of whole food. Um, it's just fermented soybeans. And again, some tempeh can be mixed with other grains like brown rice uh, or buckwheat and whatnot. And it's fermented. So it's got the, you know, the probiotic formulas and stuff. It's good for your gut. Tempeh is an interesting one. Not everybody loves it. But again, it comes down to preparation, really. Um, and and the brand of tempeh you're buying, they're not all the same. <laughs> so I happen to like actually the light life tempeh, which you'll find um, everywhere now. And it has a funny texture tempeh. Like, is it meant to be crumbled? 
Again, I make tempeh bacon, so I do strips, thin strips. Oh, nice. Strips. Okay. I do tempeh bacon crumbles as well if you want more like a bacon bit. So, yes, you can crumble it. I've even done like more of, more of like a taco style seasoning on the crumbles for tacos or burritos. And if you crumble it, it's actually a little more palatable because you'll find if you've ever ordered tempeh, like say in a restaurant, I, I'm actually quite disappointed with the way they serve it in restaurants because they just bring out these big chunks and you're like, this is not appetizing, yeah. especially yes, if it doesn't have, totally. <laughs> yeah, especially if it doesn't have enough sauce on it. You're like, well, this is gross. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you start by crumbling it and then really just seasoning it and, and getting that marinade baked in there. And you'll, you'll just find, oh, it's a chewy, yummy, crunchy, chewy thing. Like it doesn't yeah. matter what yeah. it is. <laughs> yes, totally. Um, oh, and to go back. Yeah. To go back to Satan, it's a good one too for like deli meat. So if I love eating like tofurkey slices. I actually like, so tofurkey is an old school brand too, but they make great, <laughs> they make great deli meat. Like they've improved their recipe like so much since back in the day. So I eat their deli meat on sandwiches with just like lettuce and mustard, mayonnaise, pickles, sauerkraut, tomato. I love that. Uh, but yeah, and you can make homemade seitan. So I have a really good staple seitan recipe in my first cookbook, Vegan Comfort Classics. And it makes just this big loaf that you can use for multiple recipes. You can thinly shave it on a mandolin and make like, like, you know, a Greek style kind of doner sandwich or whatever, or like a, a, a Euro sandwich, I should say. And then I make a Philly cheesesteak with it. Uh, I've seen people, you know, cut it into chunks and put it on pizza, like a sausage. So seitan can be really versatile. And, and again, it's, it is one of the more like, old school vegan meat substitutes. And what, what else did we not cover? I mean, then you can, you know, now there's tons of products on the market that truthfully are very, very good. They're getting so good that they're becoming, you know, very comparable to meat in terms of texture, nutritional profile and all that. So, uh, well, actually better nutritional profile because it doesn't always have the saturated uh, animal fat. And then, you know, always things like whole grains are, are, can be great, you know, whole, just regular whole grains, quinoa, soba noodles, like which are buckwheat noodles, um, brown rice. I'm missing a ton. I like, I like amaranth. I've been eating amaranth recently and legumes. Don't forget about, you know, lentils are incredibly versatile. You can make like a, a tomato meaty sauce with lentils. Yeah. I actually, I like lentils of over all the other beans personally, but um, just cause they're easy to digest. They're thick. They cook so quickly. I have a, a lentil wrap in my new book. That's got again, a spicy sort of tahini dressing and cabbage. And it's, it's just a really tasty wrap. And like, you might not think to put lentils like in a wrap, but like I cook them with red pepper and onion and garlic and season them with a couple spices. And then it's just like this nice filling. Yum. I mean, it mm -hmm. almost reminds me of like a sloppy Joe-ish. I'm yeah. sure it has a different flavor profile, but just in terms of texture and, and making that switch, which I think is the big thing for everybody, like, you know, comparing it to something, having a point of reference so that it feels familiar, especially if you're feeding kids. So, you know, maybe use lentils in sloppy Joe's and then you can eventually yes. move the kids towards having lentils in a wrap because now they're used to having lentils in sandwiches. Totally. That's a really good point. And that is why I do try to make and call the recipe what it is I'm, I'm setting your expectation to be right. Because yes. if I say this is sloppy Joe mix then it better tastes like sloppy Joe, yeah. mix. <laughs> yeah. but it, but it has lentils in it and that still accomplishes that textural thing. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I have a like burning question that'll take us out. 
our audience introduced you to us. Like, they love your YouTube channel, and so everyone was asking you to come on the show. But if we were going to try to get the other busy parents and busy home cooks who listen to Didn't I Just Feed You to buy just one of your cookbooks to start cooking more vegan food at home, is it Hot for Food All Day, which is your brand new cookbook, or Vegan Comfort Classics? I know it's like choosing between a child, but we... <laughs> but listen, we do it. do that. We do it with our... <laughs> With our real children, so. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you're being honest about that. <laughs> um, no, it would, de- well, thank you for everybody for requesting me to come on the show. I love that, and I'm happy to be here. And I would say it's hot for food all day. It's the new book, and that's only because I almost did a backwards thing. I actually started thinking a little bit more about, okay, what are my actual easy go-tos that I make that for some reason I don't think are worthy of being published yes. on the blog? You know, but actually these are the things people want to be making. It, it because of the the ease and the prep. And then this idea of leveling up the leftovers is a huge sort of thread throughout the book. And I think that that's going to be helpful for people who listen to your podcast who do have the families. A lot of things can be made in advance and frozen, made in advance and then transformed into other things. The recipes are honestly just easier in this book. I wanted to come out with a bang with that first one because what I had been doing on my YouTube channel was recreating all these nostalgic comfort foods they require a little bit more work and they were meant to be really impressive and show stopping. And so the, those, those recipes have a little bit more labor involved, whereas yeah. I deliberately made the new book more, a little bit easier and just more accessible everyday style cooking. So I would definitely check that one out. Awesome. We, we love that. We cannot wait to get our hands on it. Thank you. Thank Lauren, you so much for joining you. us today. It was awesome. Thanks for having me. I loved talking with Lauren and spoiler alert, we cut part of our interview with her to bring into a mini episode exclusive to our supporting member community. I'm so excited for that episode. Lauren says something that is researched and sound, but that both Megan and I have opinions about but different opinions. Very strong opinions. <laughs> different strong opinions. And so we were like, this is super interesting content. So we made a little mini about it. And if you want in on that, you can join our listener group. But anyway, I love this interview because, you know, we started by saying cooking animal protein is the default here. But really what we learned and what I think you and I know and hope that people really get is that cooking, period, <laughs> uses all the same basic techniques. You make things delicious by applying high heat, by salt, fat, (laughs) acid. Yeah, that's it, right? Like it's the same principles. It does feel like the biggest difference with vegan cooking is the fat. You have to use different fats and learning how to use those fats effectively in your cooking, learning how to coax the most flavor out of them seems to be the biggest shift when you're doing plant-based cooking, but they're there. Those fats are out there. Yeah. My biggest takeaway was that there are lots of other vegan proteins that I haven't even tapped into. Like all those alternative meats are really trendy the last couple of years, but there are classics like TVP and tempeh i want soy curls yes 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 (laughs) me too and so that got me excited because i love to try new things and be like surprised by them and find other ways to feed my family that are not just like 
ground beef and pasta. Yeah. Have you cooked with jackfruit at all? I have. Mostly like buying it canned. So then you can just kind of season it however you like. I've never bought it fresh and processed it. Have you? No, not haven't bought it fresh and processed it, but I have bought it canned before. I don't know. I really feel like a lot of this is a mental game too, because it, I doused it in barbecue sauce. It had a good texture. It had a barbecue sauce flavor, but there is something in my mind. There's an emotional piece where I'm like, but I know I'm not eating chicken. Yes. And that can just be okay. That can just live there. But I think there was a time when I didn't know how not to judge that. I know I'm not eating chicken and therefore it's less satisfying. And I think that Isaac, my older one, is also like that. Mm -hmm. Like the minute he knows he's making a judgment instead of just letting like his mouth and taste buds experience the food and just accept it for what it is. I don't know. I do want to close out by pointing that out, that I do think that it takes a commitment to plant-based eating and kind of shifting your mental model a little bit or your mindset rather. Yes. And we've talked about this a little bit in other episodes that maybe if you're really trying to like incorporate half TVP or like half lentils in something where you would normally use ground beef, maybe that's like actually not the place to start. So that you don't turn your kids off of their favorite, like if it's sloppy joes, but instead get a little bit creative with either the format of how you're serving it. So like not making a jackfruit pulled barbecue chicken sandwich and instead making it like a bowl. So you're already getting more plant foods in there, but then you're also not like ruining them for some of your go-to meat centric that's so interesting because i was going to say the complete opposite oh really yeah because i feel like just psychologically i feel like well first of all i think both pieces of advice are equally valid right like what do you know about your family that's right right like isaac might be more judgmental if you're trying to give him a burger that's half mushrooms yeah I don't know. I mean, I feel like if I put jackfruit on a plate and made a bowl, he'd be like WTF. I think he's always (laughs) going to be like WTF, right? But if I make it as close to his, like if I build on something I already know that he likes, and I, I don't know, I feel like that would go over better also the goal isn't to get them to like take their first bite or and be like i love this yes yeah i mean that's not realistic if we put that kind of pressure on us for every meal we wouldn't be still in the game it's just like okay like he was like this is good it's just not as satisfying as chicken okay like that's totally fair but he ate it and i can do it again if i'm so inclined and like over time your taste buds adjust, your mindset kind of shifts because you're used to it and it's something new. But typically, you know, I've always started with foods that are familiar and that they like. Yeah. So I'm really interested. I I wish we could do a poll right now, like live on the air and see like how many people take the approach of, I'm going to try something completely different. Or I'm going to try something that is familiar and comfortable and just adapt it to be vegan or vegetarian. I bet it depends on your kind of eater, like an adventurous eater who just is reticent about plant-based eating or 
if you have a kid who's picky or has sensory issues, it is typically suggested that you start with what they know because there are fewer new inputs for them to mm-hmm. process. And that can help it from being completely overwhelming. Like, wait, why is this in a bowl? And in, you know, yes. like having that role that they love, having that exact barbecue sauce that there's that's their favorite, like only changing one variable. I'm just curious in general if people are going to be inspired after they listen to this episode <laughs> to try things because, and I'll have to you share were. this on Instagram. Yeah. I'm going to try Lauren's vegan nacho cheese because she says it's a game changer. And that was the one moment where I loved everything she said. I was on board, on board, on board. And I'm still obviously on board, but I was like, you're like, we'll see. We'll <laughs> see about that. Nacho cheese. I love the concept. I love how she approached it. Instead of going with the cashews, which is every vegan cook's home yes. too. But we'll see. So you guys should definitely be following us on Instagram to find out how that goes. I'm going to try to pay Isaac to see if I can I give it, I, as <laughs> chief financial officer, give you, didn't I just feed you funds to pay Isaac and Oliver to be taste testers we'll on see. Instagram? We'll see. I think I can easily get Oliver. Isaac has definitely entered the phase of. I know. I know putting me on camera. So we'll he doesn't. He could be like not on camera. It could be an overhead shot where we see the cheese, but we hear his reaction. Oh, yeah. I would be okay with that. I would find that acceptable. That's great. Okay, okay. I'm going to tell him one last. I'm. This is a surprise. I'm throwing at you before we wrap up this oh, episode. Wow. Okay, you're pulling a billis. Our former guest David Tamarkin, who we adore, had on. Epicurious's Instagram, a very controversial recipe this summer. And oh, I feel wow. like this is where we need to talk about it. He, <laughs> what is it? I need to get my phone. I need to see I it know. right now. Bread steak. So instead of having a steak, you fry a really high quality piece of bread. And then you serve it as though it were a steak. Like a cauliflower, you know, cauliflower steaks have been popular Eggplant roasts. My mom tried to serve us one <laughs> Easter and was disastrous. Okay. I have big feelings. Uh, it, mm-hmm. I'm ready for them. I just think that it actually works against getting everybody to experiment more with plant-based eating, if that's your intention, which I believe it is in his case. Yes. Actually, right? It is. Don't f- call it steak. Like, <laughs> wh- like No. Don't like it could be delicious. I firmly it 100% is very, you know if it's from David, it's 100% right? delicious, right? Great. Freaking great. I'm all for it. I want more delicious like hearty, interesting, creative vegan food. Like I'm so down. Why are you calling it steak when it's bread? I can't get down with that and I actually think it works against it. I mean, listen, he probably did it because he knew it would help make (laughs) it go viral. We'll link to the Epicurious post about it. Wait, so tell me how you feel about it. I I pretty much back you up 100% on that. I love bread. I also (laughs) love steak. I love love fried bread. I love French toast. But if if you tried to serve me a piece of fried bread... As a steak, I would never come eat at your house again. <laughs> I would be like a Ron. It would be like Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. 
Uh, all right. We're on the same page. Anyways, we'll link to it. And then I want to hear what everyone in our listeners community has to say. So be sure to join that community by visiting didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. We offer a free listeners group and also a supporting membership that comes with lots of perks, like two exclusive mini episodes every month, live events, lifetime access to our private Instagram feed, and quarterly giveaways. I just want to reiterate very quickly that our community does have a whole free section. So if you guys were in our Facebook group or you wish that Facebook group was still happening, definitely visit us at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. There is still a place for you. It's not only a supporting membership. You can also find us on Instagram as didn't I just feed you. You can subscribe to our newsletter from there as well or from our site. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And an extra huge bonus, thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. Thanks for bleeping us out and all that, Sam. (laughs) I'm Megan. And I'm Stacey. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. A lot of kids in my school say they don't like broccoli, but I don't agree with them. I think broccoli's really good, especially when it's roasted and it's nice and buttery. It tastes so good. I don't agree with my friends at all. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.